Warren journey? You know, he's going to watch this back. And he's going to be upset at you guys because you don't do that for him. And he's going to be, what's the deal with that? Well, what's going on, guys? It's so good to be here with you today. If you don't know who I am, my name is Christian Gracia. I am on the ministry team here at Journey. My role, my title is technically the church planting resident. You ask, what is that? That's a good question. I am here preparing to plant a church one day. So currently, I am going to Midwestern Seminary in the Northland, and uh, thank you, Tuck. And I am going to be finishing up my master's in about a year and a half. And after that, the plan is for me and my amazing wife to take off with our family and plant a church somewhere and bring some of you with me. So that is why I'm here, and that's what I'm doing. So uh, we believe in planting churches and multiplying, and I am one of those guys uh, for our church. Um, I am from Las Vegas. That's where I was born and raised. So last week, um, I took offense to Pastor Christian talking about my hometown. If you came to our Easter services, listen, I understand Las Vegas, city of sin. I get it. You just need to come with me sometime and I'll show you the ropes. I'll show you a good godly time in the city of Las Vegas. Have fun talking at your work this week that the pastor at your church invited you to Las Vegas with him. Okay. I'm sure it's the first time it's happened, but we live in weird times. But guys, we have been working our way through the book of Matthew since August of 2022. So about a year and a half now, we've been working our way through Matthew, learning a lot about this Jesus guy. We, at this point, should have our eyes wide open with who he is. We know his ministry, his mission, his ways, his teachings, what it takes to be Jesus' people. We have been going through every chapter and learning more and more of who he is. So at this point, we're dialed in. We know what's going on. But now, as you saw from that amazing bumper video, we are starting a new series today called The Kingdom. We're going to be 17 weeks spending uh, some time in Matthew 13 through 18 talking about kingdom. The, basically, where we came from, a, a place of learning about ourselves as Jesus followers, learning about Jesus. Now we're going to be building a worldview of the world that we live in. So everything up to this point, for instance, the last series we came out of Jesus People. If you're with us for that time, we just finished it right before Easter. We're learning all about us. Now it's time to learn about the world around us. So three different parts. First one that we're going to kick off today is kingdom foundations, kind of laying the groundwork spiritually for what we need to know so that we can make it in the kingdom. And then we'll be talking about some kingdom citizens, some profiles of different people that we find in the kingdom. And then finally, a kingdom mindset. What's the characteristics that we need to have to be kingdom people? So that is where we're going to be heading uh, today, starting with kingdom foundations. So if you have your notes with you, you can start following along or you can open up your JCI app because this is our foundational truth for today that we're going to be unpacking. Kingdom people must understand the condition of the heart. Kingdom people must understand the condition of the heart. Today's message is really going to be looking at four different kinds of hearts that we find in the kingdom. We're going to learn why some people hear the gospel and they don't respond to it. It just doesn't land on them and they, they never respond. We're going to learn why some people hear the gospel, receive it initially, but kind of fade away. And then we're going to learn about why some people hear the gospel, they seem to be plugged in and involved, but never really go anywhere with their faith. And why some people get it and, man, they run with it. We're going to figure out why that happens spiritually. So if you have your Bibles with you, open them up to Matthew 13. We're going to be in Matthew 13, 1 through 23 today. The words will be on the screen when we read, but as we do as we always do here. Would you pray with me before we read God's word? Just in this moment, take a deep breath. And I just want you to ask God in your seat, in your heart, that he would just help you focus in on this moment. 
Ask him to speak directly to you today, that you would have open ears and an open heart to receive what he has for you today. Lord, we need you today right now to speak to us. We just sang it a minute ago, Lord, we only want to hear from you and your voice. So I pray today, God, the words I speak would be only yours. I pray that you would use it for us today. Speak directly to us, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, most of our time will be spent in 18 through 23, Matthew 13. But we're going to read the first 17 verses, kind of set up our passage today. And then we'll talk about So starting in verse 1, let's read it. Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. So we're starting in this parable, just so you know. These are the hearts we're going to be talking about. That was the first one. He'll unpack that a little bit later. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, And they withered because they had no root. That's the second heart. In verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. That's the fourth one. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So before I go on, just bookmark in your brain verses 3 through 9 because we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Just keep a reference for that was the parable that Jesus just shared to the crowds. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's hearts has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So this passage is actually uh, pretty special to me. Matthew 13, 11, and 16, I kind of add those together, were the passages that God used in my life to call me to ministry. Sometimes when you're walking with Jesus, when you're reading your Bibles, uh, that you, know, you read it for information and you grow as you read and you can understand what it's saying. But there's other times the Holy Spirit just grabs you and pulls you down into the book and uses a passage of scripture to speak uniquely to you. And in this moment, that, this was kind of one of those passages for me. The disciples asked Jesus, hey, why are you speaking to them in parables? What's up with that? He answers them in Matthew 13, 11, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Jesus makes a statement that he's speaking to them in parables for their sake, but not for them. For me personally, when I've read that passage before, the first time I remember sitting down at my desk reading it, I wrote next to that verse, verse 11, why me? Why am I someone that's been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but not other people? And more specifically, he just used that passage in my life to kind of shape me and point out that he's given me a call, a unique gift set, a passion that other people haven't have that I have to follow or else I feel like I'd be disobedient. I feel like a part of that's preaching the word of God. I don't even like speaking in front of people. You guys didn't let me sleep last night. (laughs) But I believe that God has called me 
to this. So it's a love-hate relationship. (laughs) But I want you to miss the weight of the words Jesus is speaking, because that might be personal for me, but on a broader scale, we have all as Christians been given secrets of the kingdom of heaven that not everyone has been given. And Jesus only talked to them in parables. Look what he says in verse 34 in Matthew 13. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. The crowd only got verse 3 through 9. Jesus got up and his amazing sermon for that day was 3 through 9 of about a farmer going out sowing some seed. Some fall on the path, some fall on rocky ground, some getting choked out, and some working. Imagine me doing that today and I was just like... Have a great Sunday. You know, I would walk off, I get a call from PC and say, you're fired. I would lose my job. But that's all the crowd got because he wasn't teaching the crowd, he was teaching the disciples. And what this should do in our heart, I think, is create a humility and help us understand the responsibility that we have. The humility of we've been given something to steward. And that responsibility is for us to walk and live in the kingdom. So what is he trying to tell disciples through this parable? Well, your, your other blank that you have on that paper is really the primary message of this parable is that the king, this is how the kingdom spreads. And Jesus has given a really basic understanding of how the kingdom of God, his people, grow and spread. That's really the main point of this parable. As we go as Christians and we spread the word of God and we share Jesus with people, as we just talked about uh, a minute ago with Hannon, we're going to encounter different hearts in the kingdom. And we're going to see why some work and what some of the forces are that work against us and how we can better sow more seed. I think it's helpful also to think in terms, as we talk about this parable and we unpack it, that you and I are both the sower and the soil. So as we're talking about these principles, I think as Christians, we can think when we read this that we've already been kind of, you know, we've received the seed, we're saved, and now it's our job to be the farmer in the parable. But I think really we are those scattering the seed, we're spreading the message of the kingdom, but our heart is constantly a soil for us to watch over, to nurture, and steward. And there's going to be things that we learn here today that I think are going to teach us some spiritual lessons of how we can live and walk as not only people who are trying to come to know Jesus, but be Christians ourselves as kingdom people. It makes sense? Amen. All right. Well, with that being said, let's unpack the parable. And as we do, this is going to make more sense near the end, but really I see my story in every single one of these hearts that we'll talk about. I'll explain at the end, but I want you to keep that in mind. So let's read verses 18 through 19. Jesus explains to the disciples now what he just shared with the crowd. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. That's the first soil that we learn about is the path. This is really the hard heart. This is when the seed is sown and it doesn't fall on the soil, but it falls along the path around the field, which isn't tilled, is not prepared to receive seed. And so it just lays there and then a bird comes and eats it up and never has any fruit. Spiritually speaking, Jesus says, this is people who hear the word of God, the gospel, the message of Jesus, and their heart is closed off to it can't take root. They hear it, but they don't really understand it. It's what he talked about in verses 14 and 15. They're hearing, but they're never really hearing. They're seeing, but they're not seeing. It's almost like they're hearing with their head, but they're not hearing with their heart. And when you don't make that connection, it's rejected. So if you've ever shared this a message with anyone, if you talk to them about Jesus, if you invite them to Easter maybe, and they rejected that, they didn't really come around, they didn't, it didn't click for them, you experienced this spiritual principle. The seed you casted fell on the path, Satan came and ate it up. Happens a lot. Happens a lot. 
And unfortunately, there's nothing we can do to really stop it from happening. We can't force the seed into the soil. And so there's a lot of times that we're going to cast a lot of it and it's never going to take. Today, as I preach today and I share the word of God, some of you in this room, the few of you will enjoy it. There'll be a lot of people, though, who hear it and kind of shrug it off and they'll walk about off and go about their day. That's just the reality of things that's going to happen. We can't change that. So then, I mean, that's pretty discouraging. What can we do? Well, there's only one thing, and that is to keep sowing. It's to keep spreading seed. It's to not give up. Because even though this happened once, it's not going to happen every single time. If you've ever talked to someone about Jesus and they didn't really receive it at all, that doesn't mean they're forever going to reject the gospel. It just means in that moment, the seed you casted, it didn't land. But that didn't mean it's going to always happen. Which means... For those in the room that you have family members who don't know Jesus, you have coworkers that know Jesus, neighbors, a child, a parent, a friend, and you've been praying for them to come to know him, but it just hasn't happened yet. Here's the deal. Don't give up. A lot of seed isn't going to land. That's the reality of it. It's going to happen. But our job is to not give up because here's why. Here's a spiritual lesson from this point. The moment you stop sowing is the moment the enemy begins winning. He would love nothing more for the kingdom of God to not spread. If this is primarily how it grows and spreads, if he can discourage us from making us think there's no way this person's ever going to come know Jesus and give up, he'll win. Listen, I say this as someone who comes from a family that's not Christian. A lot of my family members aren't Christians. And I said this earlier this week. It's kind of, I hate to admit it, but I imagine them and I'm like, I really can't see them ever becoming a Christian. It feels way out there. But then again, I serve a God who could save me. He can save anybody. And my job is to not see who can maybe get there, but how can I spread more seed and let him use it? Because listen, it only takes one. It takes one seed to work in the heart of a person to take root and change them. It may take a while though. But just last week, we had a really cool story of this happening. Just last week, we heard of someone come to know Jesus for the first time. And in fact, Craig Jordison's in over here. If you don't know Craig, Craig, raise your hand. Everyone say hi, Craig. Craig. Craig's incredible. He's on our spiritual care team. If you're ever sad, talk to Craig. He'll give you a hug. You'll feel better, okay? Craig has a dad that he's been praying for for a while to come to know Jesus. And he's been casting a lot of seed. Recently, in the last six months or so, the soil of his dad's heart kind of softened up. He started listening and following a long journey online. He doesn't live here. He lives somewhere else. And he eventually came into town. He was here for Easter. And he came and he sat through the message and he heard PC teach. And then at the end, what we do for our spiritual care teams, they actually, they own the areas that you're sitting in. So there's someone that we designate for your area to care for you and kind of look out for you, for, to be available for you. And those moments that we ask people to respond, we have them kind of look out for who that is so that we can know who, who to follow up with or just kind of have an idea of like what's going on. So Craig was looking out into the room when the response was happening. And lo and behold, he saw his dad raise up his hand. 85 years old, Craig's dad decided to come to know Jesus after a whole lot of seed had been sown. And today we have a picture of him actually going home after he had made a decision with his best day ever shirt. Look at that smile, huh? That's a man who just had a good day. 85 years old. Took a long time. A lot of seed. Maybe felt wasted. But it only took one. And last week, it was that day. Bonus story. 
Craig's granddaughter, the same day, went to J-Kids. She's in first grade. She turned in the card and said, today, I accepted Jesus and decided to follow him too. So multi-generation were changed last week. Some get it at six years old, like my wife. Wish I had that story. I didn't. Other people, 85. Our job, spread seed. Spread seed. If you invite someone to Easter, they may have come made a spiritual decision. That's awesome. If they did there with you today, don't forget to go to the best day ever party so they can kind of learn how to walk and start this thing. But make sure you understand that it's your job now to walk with them. As Christians, as these, as a sower of, uh, of the kingdom, it's our job to now, those people that made spiritual decisions, to follow up and walk with them. Maybe they came, but they didn't make a decision. But you can talk to them about that now. They heard the message. That's an easy way to be like, what'd you think? Have some conversation about it. Or maybe you invite someone and they didn't come at all. That's okay. Keep sowing. The next day that we have a weekend that we would kind of say is our big invite weekend is Mother's Day, May 8th. You may be wondering, okay, well, for some of us that would work, but how would I get someone to come here on church for Mother's Day? I got a few ideas I've been thinking about. All right. First off, you tell them to bring their mom because moms love Jesus and they want to come to church. Amen. (laughs) That's one way. Secondly, don't talk to your friend. Talk to their mom and tell them they should come to Mother's Day and guess who they'll bring to church that day. You better believe it's going to bring your friend, all right? So either find some numbers of some moms and hit them up or tell them to bring their moms and come Mother's Day, okay? That's the best I got, all right? I'm the most creative person in the world. But that's what, that's another opportunity for us to sow and cast seed, okay? Don't give up. Someone say, don't give up. Yeah. Amen. All right, the next two soils or hearts we're going to be talking about, we're going to do together. We're going to be talking about two different hearts coming up that I think are different, but they share some commonality. I want to talk to them together. So let's keep reading Matthew 13, 20 through 22. Listen to what Jesus says. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So both of these soils, the rocky ground and the place with weeds and thorns, have a common theme of having a chance to grow, but end up being prevented from doing so. On one hand, uh, one seed falls on the rocky ground, can't really grow any roots because it's too shallow there, and so the sun comes up and gets scorched. The other hand, the seed falls, but there's too many thorns and weeds, and so it can never really be fruitful and gets choked out and dies. One of the soils lacks root, the other lacks fruit. That's really the difference between here. They both have a chance. They both look like they're going to get it, but end up not making it. The question is, why does that happen? Why is that? What prevents the seeds from not being able to bear fruit and again, thinking of it as a sower in the soil, what happens with us sometimes of not being fruitful or having some shallowness? What, what causes that? I think there are two main weapons of the enemy that he uses against our faith that this passage is pointing to, and that's pain and pleasure. Two of the main weapons he'll use to kill your faith will be pain and pleasure. And listen, every human being has to deal with these two things, the pain and suffering of the world and the things we go through, and the allurement of the world, the world, the, the, em- the holes in our heart that we try to find a way to fill, the temptations of the world. Every human being has got to deal with those two things. 
We probably know people who want to start following Jesus who initially actually really joyfully wanted to follow Jesus, but then something painful happened to them. And they kind of abandoned the whole Jesus thing. This is why the series we just finished, Jesus People, was so helpful, in my opinion. In the middle of the series, we had a couple of spiritual realizations that we didn't really want to talk about, that weren't fun to talk about, but were necessary to talk about. Our fifth spiritual realization was that this Jesus thing won't be easy. We learned that as following Jesus, the world is not going to go our way. With or without Jesus, if you didn't know this, life is not going to go your way. But as a Christian, specifically, there's a unique way the world's going to push back on us. But the next spiritual realization was that we go anyway. And so it's important that we understand that, that people understand that from the, from the get-go, that this is not going to be easy. We don't follow Jesus because it's going to be easy. But people here start to follow him, have no root. And so when the sun rises up, the heat gets turned up, their faith is killed. Or maybe you know someone, they started following Jesus. But then something better came along that either distracted them and made them be too busy to really grow their faith. Or maybe they just ended up like the shallow soil. They just jumped ship on Jesus too and started to pursue that instead. They had too many competing priorities and interests in their life that their fruit never had room to grow. And as Christians, again, I think we experience this. I don't know about you, but my walk with Jesus has not been easy. It's not like there's no pain in my life anymore. It's not like there's no temptation anymore that the world doesn't sometimes look more alluring than Jesus does. I don't know about you, but my experience is that 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 doesn't go away. So then what do we do? What's our answer? What's our response to these two things being prevalent in our life? I would say this, dig deep and make room for Jesus. Dig deep and make room for Jesus. Sometimes if, if you're feeling shallow, you want need to dig deep. Matthew 7 said this way, that we got to build our house on the rock. We got to have a strong foundation if we're going to withstand the storms of life. And sometimes we got to cut things out of our life that are competing with our pursuit of Jesus so that we can fully run after him. So I don't know where you are today in the room, but your next step may be either to dig deep or maybe to make room and maybe to do both. You ask, well, how do I do that better? I would say take a page out of Paul's book. Just like with Matthew 13, 11, how that's a passage in my life God has uniquely used that he's just put in my heart that's kind of always close to me. Another passage that I've read that really has just stuck with me is found in the book of Philippians. Apostle Paul is one of the greatest missionaries that we have in Christianity. And he wrote a letter one time to a church in Philippi, really thanking them for supporting him in his missionary journeys. And so he's writing them a thank you card. And in the middle of it, he kind of gives what I would consider like the secret sauce of being a Christian. I'm not even kidding. I feel like if we can get this, we'll be okay. Listen to what Paul says in these verses. Philippians 3, 7 through 8. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Listen, I pray for a kind of faith like Paul. Because you couldn't touch him. You could not touch Paul's faith. You couldn't turn the heat up too hot to make him run away from Jesus. And you couldn't entice him to, to leave Jesus because Jesus was the greatest thing he ever had in his life. And he thought, if I got him, I'm good. You can take the world. I got Jesus. And there's nothing you can offer me that's going to be better than Jesus. That was Paul's faith. He had something that I like to call a resilient faith. That when push came to shove, Paul didn't move. 
He had roots and he had fruit that made an impact. And that's why I look at this passage as an example to us today to dig deep and to make room for Jesus. And listen, it's not that when he talks about considering everything as lost or literal garbage, he didn't just, as his friends and family, become the worst person in the world to abandon them. Talking this way does not mean that you neglect everything in your life. It just means that you put Jesus up top. And he said, there's nothing that's going to compete with me and Jesus. And the crazy reality is that when you put Jesus up top, the rest of your priorities get ordered correctly. I'd say they fall in place. Bold statement. The people who are crazy about Jesus and love him, follow his ways and way of life, I would say are the best kind of people in the world. Christian, it sounds kind of arrogant. I know, but it's true. Because what he calls us to is to be the best spouse we can be and parent we can be and child we can be and neighbor we can be and coworker we can be and boss we can be. We're called to live a self-sacrificial life, a servant life. I think the world can use more of that, no? So if people got Jesus up top and they're not letting anything else get in their way, I think those kinds of people are the people that we need. It doesn't seem like it makes sense, but it really does. I was sitting in class one day and I feel like I saw the perfect paraphrase of what Paul is saying right here. I was sitting down at my table, a few tables in front of me. There was a water bottle that a, a girl had. I think it was like a hydro flask water bottle, not a sponsor, but I have one myself. They're great. And it was sitting there on the table and it's one of those, she's the type of person that likes to put stickers all over her belongings. Like bottles, laptop, car. That's cool if you like that. That stresses me out. But she was that person. And I was looking at this bottle and one sticker caught my eyes. I was thinking through this sermon a couple weeks ago that I was like, that is it. That is exactly it right there. And it says this, Jesus is worth everything you're afraid of losing. I told you I'm not that creative, okay? <laughs> Water bottle quote, that's what it was. Jesus is worth everything you're afraid of losing. Listen to me, powerful statement, not easy. Don't hear me today and say like, this is an easy thing to grasp because I read these words and I struggle with it. The more I grow, the more God gives me. I'm, I'll be 27 next month. I'm a young pup. I got a wife. I got two kids. A third on the way, praise God. And as God has grown my family and the things in my life, as much as I'm thankful for it, it's like a catch-22 because I read Paul's words and I'm like, man, I don't know if I want to consider them loss. But can I for the sake of Christ? Does it mean he's going to take them away from me? Listen, I don't know. I hope he doesn't. But if I was Paul, Paul would say, I have Jesus and it's okay. I'm going to love them best I can. I'm going to be the best husband, father I can. Christ in me is going to be the best of those I can. But Jesus, Jesus is enough. I would say when you look at the pain and pleasure of the world, that phrase is what we hold on to. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Here's the spiritual reality that is a little ironic the things that often lead us away from Jesus are things only he can answer and satisfy. We look at the pain of the world, we get the pleasure of the world, the things that they offer us. It's those things that usually lead people away from Jesus, but it's only Jesus that can answer those things, that can satisfy those things. And our fight every day is to believe that. 
You know who my favorite kind of people are to talk to? Young guys in their young to mid-20s who are about three to six months into marriage. (laughs) Follow me. Follow me. Young people generally, when they're about to get married, you know them, they are ready to rock and roll. Like, they're excited, okay? I've been there. I got married when I was 20, like, just shy of being 21. And so I went through this before everyone else in my life did, and I experienced this. They're ready. They're excited. And so they're ready to be married, to, to live with their best friend, enjoy marriage and all those things. They have an incredible ceremony. They start marriage. I love following up with them three months later. And I love just asking them. How's it going? I, it sounded like it was going to be the best thing in the entire world. It, gonna, it sounded like you were going to be the exception to the whole, like, marriage is hard and work thing, right? So how's it going? And they're always, it's always the same. It's so good. They're always like, it's good. It's good. I'm like, yeah? Listen, marriage is awesome, but what they are demonstrating in that moment is a principle that we find in every area of life, in every area of our pursuits, that the pursuit of a thing is much more exciting than the getting of a thing. I mean, how many times have we experienced that? Chasing after something, way more exciting, envisioning getting it, can't wait to get it, then you get it and you're like, what's next? What's the next thing to look forward to? Expectations meet reality, and all of a sudden we realize, hmm, this this isn't what I thought. Happens everywhere in life. The only thing it doesn't happen with, I would argue, is Jesus. Because of what he offers us. You say, what is that? Psalm 1611, I think, says it pretty good. You make known to me the path of life. You You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Listen to me. That word fill right there means fill to the full. I will jump ship on Jesus right now if you can offer me something better than that. Something better, fuller than full and longer than eternity. You got something better than that? I'll jump ship right now if you have something better, I promise. I'm that type of guy. I'm going to the next best thing. But if you can't improve upon fuller than full and longer than forever, then I'm not interested. And the reality is you can't because there's nothing like Jesus. Listen, Jesus is not only enough, he's better. And these are the things that we have to fight to believe every day as we walk with him. Some of you in the room need to dig deep, make room for Jesus. Cut some thorns, weeds out of your life, dig deep, build the foundation. We got the hard heart, the shallow heart, the distracted heart. Let's read Matthew 13, 23, about the last one. It says this, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. The last soil we learn about is the good soil or the soft heart. It's the heart that not only understands the word of God, but receives it and reproduces. This is how the kingdom grows through you and me. Not necessarily through a church, not a building, but through Christians. People who understand, who have that Philippians 3, 7 through 8 moment, who then realize that it's our job now to carry on the mission and to cast seed and to reproduce, to multiply, to bear fruit, to make disciples. That's the natural progression of the good soil. Not just someone who believes and understands and comes to church every week, but someone who then bears fruit. That's what the good soil does. 
At the end of the day, there's only two soils. We talk about four, but there's really only two. Those that receive the word of God and bear fruit and those that don't. Ministry can be super discouraging because we see this a lot of times where it looks promising up front. 75% successful, it's a good day. But we learn from Jesus is that really only 25% of that soil is going to actually last. At least in the moment. But I think we understand this principle so that we don't lose heart. So that as we strive to grow the kingdom, we don't become too discouraged because we understand, no, this is actually normal. This is actually how it's supposed to work. Jesus is pulling the curtain back and he's like, see how this all is working spiritually? This is normal. This is good. Just keep being faithful. Keep casting that seed. And hopefully today what I hope you understand is that this is a slow process. It's not straightforward and it takes a lot of time to bear the fruit, to see people, Craig, come to know Jesus in our life. But listen to Paul's words in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary or become weary in doing good for at a proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. What a frustrating promise in the word of God. (laughs) You'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. And I got a feeling a lot of people in the room today have given up. Whether on yourself, spiritually, or on other people in your life, you've grown tired of trying and striving, of casting the seed, of praying. I get it. I hope you hear these words today from Paul and you hear that, don't grow weary. It's going to happen. There'll be a breakthrough. Just don't give up. Really, these soils I mentioned in the beginning are, I think, my story. I think I experienced all kinds of hearts in my journey as becoming a Christian, from the hard soil, shallow, distracted, to the soft. And I think it's really something that we can kind of learn as a progression of the hearts today. For the people in your life, they may not go immediately from hard to soft hearts. They might go from hard to shallow, distracted, and then soft. For me, that was kind of my story. I was raised in a broken, lost family. My parents met Narcotics Anonymous. They got together, had three kids. I'm the baby of that family. Grew up with a lot of brokenness and pain. Failed suicide attempts, praise God. Eventually separation and divorce in my family. A lot of pain. A lot of separation. I grew up just knowing that I was going to have the perfect, beautiful family that I saw on Disney Channel. At a young age, God just let me know that real quick. This ain't going to go your way. Got it. So eventually in high school... Then I turned to, how do I numb the pain? How do I comfort myself? How do I fill the holes in my heart? Young age, got exposed to alcohol, to drugs, turned to a relationship with a girl, tried all sorts of things to try to fill the holes in my heart. Guess what didn't work? Any of it. So I came to a place halfway through my senior year, almost a decade ago. I know I just aged myself. Calm down. And I remember sitting down. And I felt like God had taken me to a place where I had a hard heart and through the circumstances of my life, experiences of my life, he had broken up the soil to finally be prepared. To where I remember praying to him, I'm done running. I'm done trying. In that day, I remember I was gonna make a commitment to follow Jesus. I was gonna try the Jesus thing out. And listen, the kind of person I am is, if it doesn't work out, I'll try something else. Almost 10 years later, I'm looking back. And I got a feeling, 
in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, I won't be looking back. Is it because your life has been easy? No. Has it gone your way? No. Have you been content every season of your life? Absolutely not. But time and time again, what has been proven true is that Jesus is enough. And if I could pray anything for anyone in this room today, it's that you would see that, believe that, and experience that yourself. The question to close today is which heart do you have? Are you the hard heart today? Are you the shallow heart today, the distracted heart today? Or maybe even in this room in this time, you might have started off with some hard soil that even in this short amount of time, God has now worked on, softened, and prepared. Which one are you? What is the response today? Would you pray with me as we close? For those in the room that don't know Jesus, I want to talk to you first. There's a passage in Hebrews that says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The reality is a lot of people every day harden their hearts towards the gospel. And I, many times in my life, had those moments of rejecting Jesus, feeling him move and call me, and saying no. Eventually he won. But maybe today, you're sitting here today, you don't know Jesus. And you're hearing him call you today. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Just sit in your seat right there. You can pray something like this, not out loud, but just your heart to heaven. Say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. I need you to forgive me of my sin, to cleanse me of my past, to heal me of my hurt. Lord, I surrender my life to you, to your purposes. I ask for your salvation and I commit to follow you. If you're someone today that prayed that prayer or maybe you want to have a conversation with someone before you pray that prayer, I'm going to give you some instruction in just a moment. For the Christians in the room, how can you dig deep and make room for Jesus? What are the thorns and weeds choking out your faith in your life? What are the things that you know in your life need to be removed so you can run to Jesus how can you make space how do you how can you dig deep to build on a foundation that can withstand the storms of life what's he speaking to you today father we thank you today we thank you for your patience We thank you for lives changed, for the story of Craig's dad that we just talked about today and his granddad, our Lord. Thank you for all the stories of last week. Lord, of all the seed that's been sown and casted, just to see some fruit of it, thank you. Lord, I don't know what you're doing in this room today, whose hearts you're working on this moment, but I pray for them right now 
that they would respond in the way you're leading them, that they wouldn't push back, that they wouldn't harden their heart. Lord, I pray that they would hear your voice and they would turn to you. Lord, show us a way in life to make more room for you. Show us the things that we need to remove daily so we can run after Jesus. Lord, give us a resilient faith and help us to see that Jesus is not only enough, but he's better. Help us to fight to see that, Lord. Help us to believe that every day and every moment of our life because it is true. He is enough. He is better. Lord, we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said...